just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. After a break for the summer holidays here in New Zealand, we are back with new interview episodes. Today, I was able to sit down with Shana Pereira to talk about her kidney and heart transplant, as well as her near-death experience. In this episode, Shana talks us through her story that starts on Christmas Eve 2015, how she felt when she discovered that her kidneys were failing, how the organ transplant process works, and the series of events that led to a Christmas miracle in 2020. Shana also chats about the importance of faith, holding on to hope, and being the COO of your medical team. And just a content warning, as mentioned before, Shana does discuss her near-death experience, which may be uncomfortable for some listeners, so please take care while listening. Oh, it's so nice to be back in your ears. Welcome to That's So Chronic. When I was having a look through your media kit, I learned that you are an Aussie kid based in Southern California. You have 20 years experience working in marketing and media, but what we are here to talk more about today is that you have had, well, in 2020, you had a heart and a kidney transplant where something quite dramatic happened during this time, which I think I'll leave that for you to explain and chat about when we get to that part of your story. But I just wanted to thank you for being here on That So Chronic today. Thank you so much, Jess. I am honoured to be here. I feel like the purpose of pain is to really share such that the next person feels either understood or gotten or can know that there's another person in the world that can appreciate their experience and whatever they're going through. So just the fact that you have me on here, even if one person benefits from it, I'm very happy to share. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know a lot about the whole transplant process and things like that as well. So I'm really excited to learn more. I'm not excited that anything happened to you, but I'm excited that you're here and able to share today. So where do we start with your story? Where would you like to start? When did all this begin? I would say Christmas Eve 2015. Okay. I had gone home to Darwin, Australia to celebrate the fact that I had this run in my career where I had run a bunch of awards and I was on top of my game and I was like in the mode of work hard, sleep later and on the grind, as they say. Okay. And, you know, I was everything that you would think a very stereotypical view of an advertising executive. You know how you see in the movies, like (laughs) that person who's work all day, night, you know. Yeah. I used to flutter around in heels and 
you know, be in heels for 14 hours a day and that kind of, you know, I was that person. Yeah. And I'd gone home to celebrate after an, a year of being exhausted. And I thought, oh, I'm so tired. I think I'm just burning out. I need to go to Bali yeah. so I can like <laughs> stand out and do yoga and eat vegan you know, in this amazing, like, tropical paradise. Yeah. So I'd gone to yeah. Bali for two weeks and then I'd gone home to Darwin, which is only a couple of hour flight. Mm-hmm. And it was there on Christmas Eve that I actually found out my kidneys were failing and it wasn't burnout at all. Oh. How did they know that it was your kidneys? Had you had tests done? No. Well, when I was on Christmas Eve... I'd started feeling really, really sick. Right. And so my cousins had driven me to the hospital and that's where they did tests. And it was really funny. The doctor said, what do you do for work? I said, I'm in advertising. And he said, did you have any signs? Like, were you tired? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I was, I'm in advertising. Yeah. Of course I'm tired. <laughs> Hello. And then he said, okay, does your back hurt? Oh. And I was like, I just said I was in advertising. Of course my back Yeah, I'm in like, heels like 14 hours a day. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, what are you talking about? And so it really was a very shocking discovery for me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that mm. we're not meant to feel that tired. We're not meant to have body aches. Like these things are not normal. Yeah. But they were for me in just what I thought that just was part of the, you know, work hard, sleep later kind of motto. And what happens next when they when you're in the hospital in Darwin and they say, okay, it's your kidneys, what's the plan of attack? So they gave me a stack of paperwork, they got me stable, and I had come back to the US in the new year. Okay. And I had no clue. So the next steps for me were I was, I remember sitting at work and thinking, why didn't I go to the doctor? Yeah. You know, like when was the last time I had a full physical? Yeah. And I realized the answer that came back was really funny to me. It was, I didn't go to the doctor because I hated the doctor surgery. Yeah. It smelled funny. It was old. The whole experience of going to the doctor was awful. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden a Facebook ad pops up on my news page for this brand new medical group it's called one medical okay and their offices were colorful and they had lemon water waiting for you (laughs) and it smelled like a day spa and I was like I could get to I could go to this you could book appointments same day on your app and all of a sudden that fully changed the game I went into the doctor that day that afternoon and I remember the drive over thinking, okay, get ready for the guilt trip. Get ready for her to say, you should have been taking care of yourself. How come you didn't come and see us earlier? Yeah. And so I was driving and just kind of preparing myself mentally. And I get there and this doctor comes out. Her name is Dr. Yaris. And she says, you seem like the kind of person that takes care of other people before yourself. And I said, I am. And she said, well, now it's your turn to be taken care of. I'm going to get a team of specialists around you and we're going to get this sorted out. 
Okay. Right? And so as this is all happening in the United States, how did you find that process of switching from Australia to America? Like, could notes be transferred? (laughs) Well, they just gave me, Australia gave me a stack, a file of printed paper. Okay. And in America, they did all their own tests anyway. They were like, we don't care what Australia did, we're going to do our own. So I didn't have a tough time transitioning. It is a different system. It's public versus private. Like, it's a different setup. Yeah. But it's it just takes exploring and I made it my business to understand because obviously this yes. was the first time that I really had to use it. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Yaris made a whole list and she had five or six specialists on the list and she – I knew that she was a doctor for me based on – she wasn't fluffy – she didn't necessarily have like amazing bedside manner where she was like giving out hugs and whatever, right? But she was hardcore and she knew her stuff and she totally listened. Like she just understood me. And so she said, here are the specialists. If any of them take longer than, if any of them say it's going to be longer than 48 hours to get an appointment, call me and I will call them personally. We have to get you in to see them all. Wow. And I thought, okay, I'm in good hands. And she said, you didn't choose your body. You didn't choose your DNA. You didn't choose your parents. This is not your fault. Yeah. Let's just get a team of people around you and let's start to take the steps in the right direction. Because I guess that, you know, leads to do, do they know why this happened in 2015? Your kidneys just yeah. not working. Not necessarily. Like they couldn't quite pinpoint one particular aspect and at that point for me it didn't really matter in the sense of it was more of a now phenomenon right it was like okay what do we do now Mm -hmm. one of them was getting all of my numbers in order all of my right levels of you know magnesium and phosphorus and and potassium and all of the you know all of the levels of chemicals in which we're meant to have in our body and nutrients so it really I, I didn't pay, I didn't give too much energy into why or what had happened yeah. other than for it to give me insight in making different decisions moving forward. Okay. And that was a very particular decision that I made because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had to rid myself of any guilt and really forgive myself in the process of healing my body Mm-hmm. to be able to actually deal with the situation powerfully. Yeah. If someone's listening and they can't remember back to their biology classes at school and they're thinking, hmm, what do the kidneys do? How would you describe how important they are in the body? Yeah, so they filter your blood. And with filtering your blood, they regulate all of the nutrients that go in and out of your blood. Yeah. So they regulate your toxins, they regulate your vitamins, your nutrients, your hormones. They're basically your regulator of what stays in your body and what comes out. At this point in the process, when you're establishing your medical team, were there any talks of what was going to happen? I mean, what happened next? Yeah, it was clear that I was going to need a kidney transplant. Okay. So the game was to keep me 
stable and off dialysis as long as possible. Okay. While getting me approved to be on the kidney transplant list. Oh wow. How what how is that process? It's really hardcore. It's actually a really, really tough process to go through because there are a lot of hurdles to go on to the kidney transplant list. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that don't get on there. It also is quite subjective. Oh okay. At certain points. For example, if you don't have a support system, that can sometimes be a negative. If you don't have the finances for the medicines afterwards, that can be a negative. That's here in the US. Yeah. So, yeah, they really look at a full 360. It's not just a medical diagnosis. Yeah. It's lifestyle. If they don't think you're going to take your medication, if they don't think you're going to do the things that you're supposed to do. Wow. Yeah, it can really put you at risk. How long until you were approved? It took, I want to say, a year. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And during that year, what did life look like? How were you managing the symptoms? Well, one doesn't have anything to do with the other in the sense that with kidney failure, your your kidneys, your failing kidneys are going to do whatever they do. Okay. And then however long it takes to get on the list is how long it takes, right? So they're like separate in the sense of of the process and the journey but I was put on dialysis at the beginning of 2017 okay and that's what was keeping me alive how often were you having to go for dialysis three times a week and then daily after that okay and then eventually you're on the list what happens then well the biggest part that's difficult that I found difficult was asking who would donate a kidney to me. Um, oh at that point in time, I'd never even borrowed a hundred dollars. So, yeah. you know, asking someone for an organ was very foreign to me. And I had a really amazing group of friends that all rallied together and they started to put messages out on social media saying I needed a kidney. And one of my friends in particular, his name is Sebastian Terry, and he speaks about a hundred things and doing kind things for others. And the list of hundred things is uh, what do you want to do before before you die? Yeah. And he's very passionate about life experiences. So he started speaking about me at every talk and every event that he spoke at. And every podcast he did, he started speaking about the fact that I needed a kidney. And one day a lady called in October 2018 and said, I saw your picture and I heard about your story on a podcast and I want to donate my kidney to you. Wow. Yeah, she's amazing. Her name's Katie. She's a public school teacher on the east coast of the US and she went through the testing process. Oh, my goodness. It was pretty amazing, yeah. How did you feel when you got that call? At first I thought, who is this lady? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought, okay, because lots of people had wanted to donate, but they got scared, they mm-hmm. had a test, they didn't want to do it, they changed their mind. You know, so I, at that point I'd been pretty burnt out on getting my hopes up. And so at first I was like, okay, you know, let's see how this goes. But her attitude and her energy was so specific 
about like, this isn't changing. I'm donating my kidney to you. I want to do this. That she just gave me a really, a real sense of comfort and partnership and restored sort of faith in humanity for me, I think, yeah. in just knowing yeah. that there are great people in the world. And I knew this logically, but it's just so different when you have that kind of evidence, you know, like when someone does something like that, it's so selfless for you. The question that I had just was like, well, I must have been, I must have done something great in a past life. Yeah. To like deserve this, you know? Yeah. And so she is eventually approved spoiler alert yes from what i read she is. she is the one yes so it was it took a while because of covid and some other factors but she was finally approved in at the end of august 2020 oh okay wow so there is a lot of covid affecting or changing the game like did did that affect her being able to donate you being able to receive no it was the testing so here in the U.S. okay we were all on lockdown from March 2020 all the hospitals were emergency only there was right no elective surgeries and kidney transplants here in the states are elective oh yeah, a conversation for a whole different podcast. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but so they just stopped all testing for it. And she only needed a couple more blood tests and she couldn't do them because the testing labs and, and that kind of thing were all just focused on testing for COVID. Right, I see. Because she is on the East Coast, did you say? Yeah. How does that work in terms of connecting to make it all happen oh just the normal way like they would fly her in we would do surgery oh okay so yeah yeah, so she would come to you yeah so what happened from there was all I needed was a CT scan and a stress test and then I would be cleared to get the surgery with her and they did the CT scan and the doctor called and he said they found a cyst on my kidney that looked like it was 70% cancerous. Oh, no. And I thought the same kidney that you guys have been looking at for five years, now that she's approved after all this time, now it has cancer? And I just thought, I'm going to die. Like, I'm not meant to get this kidney transplant. Right. And then two days later, I was driving to get a green tea I remember very vividly I was in the car I was driving to get a green tea and uh the phone rang and it was the heart doctor oh and he said don't worry about your kidney your heart is failing and I said what and he goes your heart is at 15 percent I don't know what happened so I need you to come into the office right now from wherever you are now, mind you, my doctors are two hours away at a place called Cedar sinai Okay. So that's what I did. I turned the car around and I drove up to see him so that we could figure out what had happened. And at this point, wow. I thought, I'm for sure going to die. Like, this is like, I really believe in signs from God or your higher power or whoever you believe in, right? Yeah. The universe, Buddha, whoever it is but I really believe in signs from a higher power. And I thought, that's it. Like, they're telling me that I'm really not meant to be here. Yeah. And when I got up there, 
it was really, it was really amazing. It was like a, a blur because I sat there and he said to me, how are you feeling with all of this? And I said, well, I feel like I need to spend all my money, curse out every person I've ever wanted to curse out, yeah. <laughs> drink a bunch of tequila and just call it. And he said, my job is to keep you alive for years and years and decades to come. So that'll be enough time for everyone to get retribution. So I would hold <laughs> off if I was you. Okay. Right? And he was really great in just saying to me, listen, I've got a whole bunch of people running around LA doing marathons and all kinds of stuff with a heart and kidney transplant. You're going to be no different. We're going to do this. And I said, okay, great. So I started to feel like, okay, okay, there's hope. And then he said, okay, so we need to do a procedure in your heart, see if we can get it strong enough to then do the surgery to get your kidney out, to then make sure your kidney is not cancerous, to then, if it's not cancerous, then we do another procedure to see if we can keep your same heart. And if we can't do that, then we'll put you on the heart and kidney transplant. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going to die. Like, that's too many forks <laughs> in the road. You know what I mean? And so yeah. just as fast as I'd gotten my hopes up, I was like, there's no way. There's way too many forks in the road for that to work out. Yeah. So I was driving home and I called my best friend. Her name was Rachel. And I said, I think I'm going to die. I feel like I'm in Final Destination, you know, in the movie Final Destination where – if it's not the car accident that kills you, it's the toaster that blows up, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, your kidneys failed on Christmas Eve 2015. I think it's going to be a Christmas miracle. And that way you'll, you'll get your heart and kidney on Christmas 2020. And it's going to be a Hallmark movie. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I thought, well, her movie sounds way better. Let me get into yeah. her movie because that generally has a happy ending. Yes. <laughs> so let me do that. So I called the doctor back and I said, listen, we're making a movie. We need a Christmas miracle. It's a long story. But, like, how do we get this thing moving? And he started to, oh, I love this so much. Isn't it funny? He started to laugh and he goes, well, it doesn't really work like that. He goes, but if anyone can do it, you can. And I'll give you yeah. the list of clearances. We're going to do the procedures that we need to do. And off the list of clearances, it's just up to you how fast you go, you know. And I was like, done. So by this time, it was the beginning of December. And they determined my kidney wasn't cancerous. They had okay. determined my heart wasn't strong enough to keep my old heart. So they had to get into, so I had to be on the transplant list for a kidney and a heart. And this is where he'd given me the list of clearances to get done so that I could be relisted to now wait for a heart and a kidney. Oh, okay. Because once my heart was failing, they took me off the kidney transplant list because then it, it was, I wasn't a candidate anymore because my heart wouldn't have been strong enough to just get a kidney. Right. Even though you had found somebody who was approved and ready to donate. Yes, exactly. So she could no longer donate now oh. because obviously I need a deceased donor to have a heart and a kidney from them. Right. Yeah. So the list normally takes around three to four months to get cleared. And I got it done in less than a week. 
Wow. Because uh, I was determined. I thought to myself, yeah. we're doing this. It's going to be a Christmas miracle. And at the very least, I'm not carrying this over into the new year. Yeah. Right? I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to deal with it now so I can start the new year off fresh, whatever the definition of fresh means. And I get I might die. Both of these are possible scenarios. But I don't need to help death out. It's going to do what it's going to do. So I'm going to focus on living. And I'm going to help life out. And if I die, I die. But I know I've done everything that I can do to save myself. So that's what I did. I hunted down every specialist. It was like mammograms and pap smears and dentists and pulmonary and colonic and it like I mean a whole long list of all kinds of specialists and tests that I had to do and see and I did it all within a week and this took us to December 22nd that they admitted me into hospital for my last procedure okay and this was to test whether my heart were my heart pressure and whether I'd be listed as a four or a five, a four being that I would stay in hospital for six to eight weeks and a five meaning I would go home and wait for a few months. So it really was to determine what level my heart function was at and how urgent I was to be on the list. Yeah. And they determined that I was a four and they admitted me on December 22nd. And my cardiologist said, okay, so we've done everything we can do and now we just pray. And he said, look, it's not going to be a Christmas miracle. It's likely going to be February. Okay. But you can still make the movie. This is Hollywood. He was like, (laughs) you can just make it up. And I said, no one's going to watch a Hallmark movie that's supposed to be a Christmas miracle and (laughs) find out that it happened in in February. Like that's just not going to happen. It has to be a Christmas miracle. And he said, well, all we can do is pray. And he said, you know, we've done everything humanly possible, so now we wait. And I said, okay, done. And he explained to me that he was, you know, he was going away for the Christmas break, but he was on call and he was obviously, I was one of the urgent patients because I was a level four. And so Mm -hmm. he abs and, and we said happy holidays. And I thought, okay, well, now I'm in hospital and now I'm waiting. And in hospital, if you can imagine, I had my own sheets. I had a diffuser that constantly had lavender and peppermint blowing out of it and citrus. So it didn't smell like a hospital. It smelled like a day spa. And I had crystals surrounding me that just everything was very zen. And this was right in the middle of COVID. So all the nurses were all covered from head to toe I was masked up no one really could come close to me it was like limited touching in the sense of only those who really needed to be in the room would come in the room it was very very specific with how I had to be and I had to be completely isolated and I couldn't have any visitors no one could come so it was just me and the nurses really and the doctors that were there yeah And every 20 minutes, you would hear a code blue, which was a patient who was in ICU, either coding or needed urgent assistance. And the emergency rooms were absolutely packed 
with people right. who had COVID and people were yeah. dying left, right and centre. It was an absolute tragedy in the, just in the sense yeah. of even just how many people were there. So I made it my point to be very zen and mm-hmm. I sent out a Facebook note that said I'm in hospital and it sounds really awkward but if you know someone if you have a loved one that's passing or you know someone who does, they can nominate me to receive their organs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even as, as they're passing, they can say, we want these to go to Shana who's at Cedars. Right. And I said, pray for me in whatever format it is for you, whatever you believe in, whether it's positive affirmations, manifestation, whether it's Allah, Buddha, whoever the universe, Mother Gaia, whoever, I need all of it right now. Yeah. And thousands of people pinged and texted and called and messaged and just it was so beautiful to see. Um, and by this time they put me back on the list on Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. So at Christmas Day we just, I had made the decision to have fun with the nurses that were there, they were on triple duty already. They were so tired and they had seen some of the most horrific things just with the time that we were in. Yeah. And so I thought if we all have to be here, then I'm going to be a source of joy for them. Yeah. And uh, that's what we did. We just had fun and we talked about love lives and dating and and romantic relationships and you know relationship problems and all the hospital gossip but we just had so much fun (laughs) just as like normal people and they would grab someone and pull in a nurse and go oh my god you totally should tell her what's happening with your boyfriend so she can give (laughs) advice because she's great at it and I'm like I don't know about that but I'm sitting here doing nothing so tell me you know like we just really had fun as normal people and at around 10.30 p.m., one of the nurses came in and they said, we are all still praying for a Christmas miracle. We're all doing it. It's still 10.30. We still have time, but you should probably go to sleep. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So he came in to help me. His name was John. And as I laid back, the phone rang and they said, <gasps> we have a heart and a kidney for you. And everyone on the floor, all you could hear was a noise just erupt of like clapping and cheering. And then this silence came about in awe of like, wow, we really did it. We all prayed for this miracle and we did it because the odds were absolutely not going to happen. It was supposed to be eight weeks. And you can imagine the match, especially for a heart, It's not just a blood type match. It also needs to be, you know, it needs to be a similar height and weight of the person. It has to fit in the cavity in which your heart has come out of. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are over and above. For a kidney, for example, it could be any kidney, but there has to be obviously the blood match. But with a heart, there's some special additions to have that match. So it was really, really, truly a miracle. And they said it never happens that quickly, very, very rarely. So the next day, as I'm sitting there, the doctors came in, the cardiologist, the anesthesiologist and the surgeon, 
they came in to make sure that I was prepped for surgery and then they were going to come back in a few minutes and come and get me and start to wheel me into surgery. And they came in celebrating like, Shana, oh my gosh, you did it. It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. We can't believe it. This is amazing. And as they're standing there, I flatlined. And that's when it became a true miracle was that my heart was set to stop on December 26th. Yeah. And so then it was like all the synchronicities and all of the moments and the decisions in which had been made started to make sense. And, you know, they have those sayings where it's like you can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking backwards, where in the moment it may not make sense other than you thinking, but I think I need to do that. Yeah. That was the moment where it all came together. And I flatlined for two minutes in that process, I had what culture calls an NDE, yep. which is a near-death experience. I call it a death-death experience because I definitely had died and come back. Okay. But I saw the whole way and the light and all of that was real for me. Yeah, yeah. And I remember feeling this really deep-rooted sense of compassion it just washed over me like if you took all of the people in the entire world and times it by 10,000 it was like that sort of feeling of compassion just washed over me completely and that's how I know what I saw was real and I came back through and I remember waking up to someone trying to wake me up and it was a nurse that I had met earlier. Her, nurse, her name was Nurse Margaret. And she was doing CPR. And I said, Margaret, relax. I just took a little nap. Where were we? And I moved her off of me and I sat up. And the doctors were like, what is happening? They said, normally the person is groggy. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's happened. They are drooling all of that and I just sat up as if I'd just taken this like I really I'd just taken a nap (laughs) and all I heard was the surgeon whisper take her to the OR right now and they raced me into the OR my heart wasn't there yet so that came by helicopter Um, they kept my heart beating manually while my other heart was coming in a helicopter and it landed on the roof of Cedar sinai They had to run up and get it, raced it back down, had their fingers crossed that it was all going to fit and a match because the surgeon that was doing the surgery hadn't seen the heart yet. Okay. And it was. My heart started beating immediately as he put it in. And then my kidney went in 14 hours later. It came by road. And both started working immediately. And three days later, I was walking. And it was funny because the cardiologist said, you don't have to make anything up. You can make the movie exactly (laughs) as is based on all the facts. I'm like, no kidding. He was like, don't make anything up. He said, I've never seen anything like it. And then he said, you couldn't just go to the the OR like a normal person. You have to be so dramatic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's for the movie. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, I told you we're making a movie. Yeah. 
So yeah, it was it was miraculous in multiple and multitude of different ways. And I'm very, very humbled by the experience and humbled to be here to be able to share it because I really hope that it gives people the hope of even in your last breath, you just never know. Yeah. And it's imperative that you hold on to what could be. Even if it's just yeah. the smallest glimmer of hope in those days where your entire body hurts, on those days where your head hurts so bad or you feel like you're carrying around an extra 50 kilos of bricks on your back and you're just like, I can't do it anymore. You have to hold on because you just never know. You just never, ever know, ever know what's around the corner. Wow. With the heart and the kidney, did both of those organs come from the same donor? Yes. Have they, I mean, the extent of my knowledge of how everything works is definitely rooted in watching a lot of episodes of House and other medical TV shows. Are you ever given the opportunity to know the name of the person that donated or connect with their family? It's kind of like adoption where you can reach yeah. out and then if they want to reach back out to you, they can. Okay. All I know about her is she was 29 and she died on Christmas morning. Wow. Mm. I don't know why or where because organs can come from anywhere. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Just such an incredible story. And, you know, it's one of those situations where I'm sure if someone wrote this, they might not even believe it. But it's true. It, it happened to you. Yeah, exactly. It really is unbelievable. And when I have shared about it, people are like blown away of like, this is, this only happens in the movies, but they normally tell yeah. me. <laughs> like, apparently not. You talk a lot about um, being the COO of your medical team. And I really love that concept. How important was that for you to really take charge and be the boss in gathering the best people around you? It was really important. It was really, really important. It was game-changing. And it's not that the people that I surrounded myself did anything special for me. They're people that do special things for all of their patients. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they treat all their patients like that. It wasn't like they did anything different for me but I had to look for them. And the reason that I was surrounded by such amazing and incredible doctors was because I had a standard that was high and that I wouldn't yeah. let myself settle for anything other than when it felt absolutely right. Yeah. And that for me was key. It yeah. was absolutely critical. And it didn't even matter. It wasn't necessarily that they had to be at the top of the industry, although these ones are. I had other doctors that were, that were the heads of the whole department and that I didn't get along with and I just didn't gel with and it didn't feel comfortable for me. And I couldn't even put my finger on why, but even then I thought, no, because they had to care about my care more than I did for me to live. 
why I say more than I did is because they had to, they were the ones that were in control of so many levers, you know what I mean? Like they, they're the ones that were looking at my charts. They're the ones that would make decisions. For example, if they had decided that I was a level five instead of a level four, I would have been sent home and I would have died on my couch. Yeah. So I needed doctors that valued the same things as I did that operated the same way. And one of the core values that we all have in common in that group is that they cannot sleep until they have solved a problem or until they have a game plan. Yeah. And that's very important to me as well. So, and that's just how they're wired. That wasn't for me. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't special treatment on my behalf. They're just wired like that. That's just how they are. Yeah. They're incredible people. Yeah. Yeah. And then they all believe And the second part was they all believed in something greater than themselves. Yeah. One is a deacon. One is Jewish. She's very religious and abides by all the Jewish practices. The others believed in miracles. Like they've seen it. They believe that there is only a certain amount in which they can do. And they're responsible for doing everything humanly possible. And then after that, they've seen magic happen, you know, that is inexplicable. And I needed people that believed in that because I needed a miracle. I it was I was on the brink. I needed the universe to come together in a different way for me. Yeah. So I needed people that had hope. And then who doesn't want to be around people that have hope, even if you're not at that yeah, point? Exactly. You know? Like yeah. if you're going to go through something traumatic, who doesn't want to be around people who are who are powerful in those circumstances, who are unwavered by that? And it sounds as though they really believed in you as well. They believed in your story and the possibility of, of you being able to make this happen. They really did. They they saw the fatality that I had while having a heart function of 15% and a kidney function yeah. of 6%. Yeah. And they were like, we don't even know how she has this kind of energy or yeah. where she's getting it from because scientifically and medically this shouldn't be the case. <laughs> this shouldn't be the case. Like they would look at me. I remember doctor's appointments that I'd go to and the doctor would be like, listen, not for nothing, but you look great. I'm like, I know, <laughs> right? He would be like, your hair looks amazing. He's like, my patients don't come in here like this. Like what are you doing? Yeah. And I would just say like I'm not a patient. This is an experience that I'm going through. Um, you're, you've got the doctor side of it mastered. I've got my mental side mastered. And we bring those two things together to get me through this experience. But don't get used to seeing me here all the time. I'm not planning on being, you know, a transplant girl for the rest of my yeah. life. Like this is not, I don't, it's not going to be my identity this is yeah. merely an experience I'm going through. And I would say that regularly of like, I'm in it, I'm going through it, but this is not my whole life. So this Christmas miracle happened just over two years ago. Yes. How, how are you feeling now? How are things going? Yeah, I'm feeling good. The kidney had a little bit of damage on it from the donor when I got it. Uh, and the, of, the doctors had seen it, but... I was flatlining, so, you know, they had to 
do what they had to do in the moment. So I need another kidney transplant, which has me feeling tired, has me have those symptoms. But at the same time, I'm feeling really, really good in the sense that I know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I know I'm taken care of. You know, I know this will work out. Yeah. And I now focus on taking care of me as my highest priority and everything else comes after that. Uh, No matter what it is, people, jobs, whatever, it all comes after me taking care of myself. And I think just having that, that flip of thought process and attitude, I guess, it has made all the difference. So yeah, I, I'm very, I'm excited about what the future holds. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with everybody listening. What an incredible journey that you have been on and what an incredible person that you are as well. I just feel so honored to have been able to connect with you and help share this little part of your journey with everybody. I do have one last question, which some people might be thinking at home. And I'm curious, do you know who might play you in the Christmas film? Ah, thank you. Well, it was really funny was the nurses and doctors that took care of me post-transplant, there's a month after where, you know, obviously they're all over me making sure I was completely good. But they nominated Kerry Washington, which I think would be amazing. (laughs) And so they've cast all of the movie already. They cast all the doctors that were involved, the anesthesiologists. They had a whole cast sketched out for who plays who in the movie. So, And the doctors themselves, one of them wants Cuba Gooding Jr. to play him. Another one wants George (laughs) Clooney. Like they've they've named it all out. The funniest was one of the doctors had said, now the only thing I need to do is determine whether it's Brad Pitt or – George Clooney that plays me. And I said, well, the nurses in the OR have said it's Ben Stiller. And I said, take that however you want to. And he started <laughs> laughing. And he said, I'm sure they meant well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, more recently, I had to add another doctor onto the roster. And he came in talking about the movie and he said, no, George Clooney, sh- I should be George Clooney because I actually really do look like him. And so he, he peeled his mask back for a second and he said, I'll leave it to you to decide. So it's, it, it was one of those things that kept us, kept us all in this positive light. And I'm sure at the time they did it just to entertain me, you know, to give me something to hold on to. And turns out, it really formed the context for if I hadn't have changed all of my appointments to before Christmas or if I had said, you know what, I'm just going to have the holidays and feel normal and then we'll deal with all of this in January, I wouldn't be here to share it. So the movie definitely is in progress of getting made and I feel like that's my give back to the universe. It has to because that's what kept me alive. Well, I'm excited to see the film. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. 
Wow, I said it during the episode, but wow, what a story. A big thank you again to Shana for sharing your story with me and with everybody listening today. And also, thank you to you for being so patient while I was taking a break over the summer holidays. How have you all been? Feel free to connect over on Instagram or TikTok if you haven't already. I'm at That's So Chronic. I would love to hear from you and see what you've been getting up to over the last few weeks and where you're listening in from today. I always love to hear from the listeners so please don't be afraid to reach out as always if you have enjoyed this episode i would be so grateful if you could share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well and don't forget to press follow on spotify apple podcasts or wherever else you listen all of the shares follows ratings and reviews really help that so chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly like shana says hope i'll see you next week